let's pray because I'm going to be talking today about anger and anger's quite a tricky topic for some of us, actually probably for all of us. Father, we all know what it is to be angry and we all know what it is to feel anger from other people. We hurt people by our anger and we are hurt by other people's anger. So Lord, today, would you, would you give us a safe place to listen to what you are saying, not necessarily to what I'm saying, but to what you are saying. Would you give us a safe place to respond to you? In Jesus' name, amen. Two weeks ago, Adam reminded us how shocking Jesus' teaching would have sounded to the crowds who gathered around him. It was far more radical and unexpected than anything they had heard before, hitting home in a most uncomfortable way. Now, Jesus' enemies frequently accused Jesus of flouting his father's will, when in fact his intention was always to go deeper into his father's will. It was always to get to the very heart of what God intended. And today we discover that keeping the law is more than our outward actions, what we say and do. It's also about those inner thoughts and emotions that drive our outward actions. And we discover that in God's eyes, these are equally as serious and worthy of our attention. In today's reading, Jesus focuses on the sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Now, if I'd been part of that crowd, I'd probably have felt rather smug at that point. After all, I haven't murdered anyone. But no time to bask in my self-righteousness, however, because Jesus suddenly seems to change track. Except that he's not changing track, he's going deeper. Whenever Jesus said, whenever Jesus said, you have heard it said, followed by, but I tell you, he isn't changing the law. He's teaching us what true obedience to that law actually looks like. And it's not very comfortable. It's not meant to be. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Come on, Jesus, surely you don't mean that. It's normal to feel angry at times. Don't I have the right to be angry when someone or something hurts me? Here's the thing, anger is a normal, healthy emotion. It's part of being human. It's a natural reaction to certain circumstances. It's usually a signal that something is wrong. Anger will be different for all of us. What pushes my buttons will be different to what pushes yours. It depends on all sorts of factors, including our childhood, our upbringing, our past experiences, and our current circumstances. God understands this. He knows we will get angry, but it's how we handle our anger which is important, for we can learn to control it. Take, for example, the story of Cain and Abel, the sons of Adam and Eve. 
Cain became jealous when God preferred Abel's offering to his offering. And Cain's jealousy quickly became anger, burning anger, which resulted in deception, murder, denial, self-pity, and a complete lack of remorse after taking his brother's life. Cain's punishment was to be hidden from God forever as a restless wanderer over the earth. But it didn't need to end like that because God warned Cain about his anger from the very beginning. This is in Genesis 4, verse 6 and 7. Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. God was challenging Cain to do the right thing. He challenged him to look deeper, to understand why he was so angry. He challenged him to do the right thing while there was still time. Instead, with each step in the wrong direction, Cain's heart became hardened and indifferent to God's love. And like Cain, we too need to be on our guard, lest our desires and emotions cause us to act foolishly and create a chain of events we later regret. And I just wonder if God is challenging you over a situation that could escalate out of control if you don't learn how to channel your anger appropriately. Is he asking you to act while there is still time? James 1, 19 and 20 says this, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. God wants our hearts to be a reflection of his righteous heart, full of his compassion and love. Whenever our relationships with one another get out of kilter, our relationship with God suffers too. When we come to God with an impure heart, it taints our worship. Jesus challenged the Jews and he challenges us to put things right quickly to make this a priority over everything else, even a priority over worship. Matthew 5, 23. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. In other words, until your relationships are in order, your sacrifice is unacceptable. Don't come back until it's sorted. I wonder how empty our churches would be if everybody took this to heart and stayed away from church until they'd put their relationships right. Jesus' illustration is a man who's gone to the temple to worship. And his offering wasn't a five pound note. It was a lamb. He'd bought a lamb and he was standing in line waiting to complete the ritual. A live lamb, I should add, wriggling 
and probably trying to get away. But as he's waiting in line, he suddenly remembers something. Maybe he remembers someone he's wronged. And he leaves instantly to put things right. I wonder what happened to that lamb. The crowds listening to Jesus lived in Galilee. So when Jesus was telling them to go back home and put things right, this was a three-day journey. Three-day journey. And then three days to get back to Jerusalem to perform the sacrifice. Six days. Jesus wanted them and he wanted us to understand how important reconciliation is to God. Reconciliation is the best kind of worship we can offer him. Yet how many of us come to worship with anger or bitterness in our hearts? How many of us come with unfinished business and seem to have no shame in doing so? Maybe we've just got used to carrying this muck around with us. We no longer notice it. It's become part of who we are. But God wants us to walk with soft and compassionate hearts that are open to his love so that we can love those around us with the same love. Hearts that are pure before him. God longs for us to do the right thing because he loves us. He doesn't want us to become separated from him because of our sin. So what's stopping us putting things right? Sometimes it's our pride. We don't want to be the one who concedes. We don't want to give up our right to be angry. I put right in inverted commas. We don't want to give up our right to be angry, even though that anger is damaging us. Some of us may have got into a pattern of behavior towards certain people, which we think can never change. But it can, because even if they won't change, we can. It may be hard, but God can do amazing things when we make tentative steps in the right direction. And God loves to help us to do this. I have three brothers whom I love dearly, but my relationship with them hasn't always been easy. I am a twin, one year younger than my older brother. My mother was so busy with three little ones that she left us to sort out our own squabbles, of which there were plenty. And it could get really nasty. My twin still bears the scars from when he was pushed through a glass cucumber frame by my brother. He retaliated by cracking my older brother's head against a wall. When they weren't fighting each other, they would turn their attention to me. And as a result, I hate conflict of any kind, and I'll always try to smooth things over. But sometimes this just isn't possible. Things can happen over which we have absolutely no control. My older brother's relationship with our mother deteriorated, resulting in him cutting off all contact with the family and moving abroad. I was in a conflict of emotions, trying to understand why he had done it. 
wishing he hadn't because I hated the pain it was causing. His quarrel was with my mother, not me. So I was angry when the letters I sent him were returned with not known at this address in my brother's immaculate handwriting. But I persevered. I kept on sending letters, postcards and little gifts to my nephew and niece, hoping it would thaw the ice. Years passed. My patience began to wear thin. I'm afraid I began to feel angry with him, especially when our mother died without being fully reconciled. One small comfort was that her death resulted in renewed contact between my brother and our father. A couple of years later, the phone rang, completely out of the blue. It was my brother. I didn't recognise his voice. It was so long since I had heard it. There was no explanation, no apology. He wanted to know if my niece could come and stay in order to improve her English. I suddenly felt really angry. Didn't he know how hurt I was? But then I stopped. How my mother had longed for that phone call, which had never come. I had the chance to put things right. I realised I needed to set aside my desire for satisfaction from my brother. Putting things right mattered far more. I thought of my mother and I said, of course she can come. And she did. And we had a wonderful summer together, travelling all around the country to help her reconnect with different branches of her UK family. It was so special. And it was the beginning of the healing process for all of us. And I'm glad to say that we're now all in regular and very happy contact with each other. That moment I said yes, it felt like a cloud had lifted. Something changed within me. It's not about our perceived rights. It's about our choosing to do the right thing. Okay? It's not about our perceived rights. It's about our choosing to do the right thing. It may be costly, but it was even more so for Jesus. He gave his life so that our lives might be reconciled with his Father God. So make that call, write that letter, and keep praying. The longer we leave it, the harder it gets, as resentment and bitterness can fester. In Ephesians 5, Paul urges us not to let the sun go down on our, our anger. But a quick word of warning. I have had to learn not to have these serious conversations too late at night. I may go to bed peaceful because I have offloaded all my frustrations. But then, but then poor Joe cannot sleep because I have dumped them all on him. So don't let the sun going down on your anger be too literal, but choose the right moment to do it. And ask God to give you that right moment to make an opening where you can speak honestly, but without 
anger in your voice. Some of you may be thinking it is too late to seek forgiveness because the person concerned has died. But we follow a God who is not restricted by time or space. We can come to him now and put things right, which happened years ago. Even though we may have forgotten the details, God knows. So talk to him, ask him to forgive you, and ask him to show you by his Holy Spirit if there is something more that you need to do. It may be that you need to forgive someone who has wronged you. And again, it's still possible to do this even though they have died. This may feel too difficult because the memories are so hard, but it's still possible to pray. Father God, I cannot carry this pain and anger any longer. So I give him, I give her to you because you are the righteous judge. And as I release them to you, I ask you to release me from all the hurt and anger and damage that they have caused to me. Father of life, make my life clean again and give me a new heart to worship you. Amen.